All right, we're going to go ahead and get started. Go ahead and stand with me tonight. Thank you for being with us online. We're glad that you've tuned in tonight as we wrap up our series on uh, Ruth, a story of redeeming love, and we're going to we're going to see how it all ends tonight. It's been a seven-week journey that we've unpacked uh, the story of Ruth and looked at all the little nuances that come along with this wonderful story. Uh, but as we open up, how many have a prayer request you'll just signify by lifting your hand tonight? If you're online, if you'll comment, we want to pray with you as well. Uh, I say it every week, and I'll con- continue to say it. Let's pray for rain. We, uh, we need rain. I saw the uh, Cleburne going into the stage two water restrictions here uh, in another week. Uh, lake is about 58%, uh, so it's, it's really dry. And uh, I just think all across Texas we need to repent uh, because I've seen the radar and all around us there's rain as far as you can, you know, miles and hundreds of miles, and Texas is just dry. I'm thinking we need prayer. We need to repent of something. Uh, so uh, anyway, but let's do pray uh, for rain. Uh, let's pray for all those that work out in this heat, uh, especially the first responders, the firefighters, all those guys that are and gals that are just out there battling the elements. Uh, it's just a tinderbox. Uh, and uh, let's pray for all the ministries going on campus tonight. Uh, we had kids that were at camp all uh, last week and up until today. Our young, our littles came home today and. Uh, all of them had a great time at camp. Just pray that the impact that's made there at camp, even for the preschoolers that went to camp uh, Monday, came back today, uh, that it would just be such a powerful encounter with the Lord. Uh, let's just pray. Father, tonight we're so grateful to be able to come together and study your word. Lord, I thank you uh, again around us, even though it's it's dry and the heat is, uh, Lord, for some is, it's just unbearable. But Lord, I thank you that even through all of this, we still see the the beauty, the beauty of your creation and the reminders of your loving care and your tender mercies. And for that, we're grateful that you were mindful of us. Even David pondered that question, what is man that thou art mindful of him? Lord, I thank you that you are concerned. And as we open up tonight, we thank you that you're concerned about uh, those things that concern us. I pray for those that ha- had need tonight by lifting their hand. I pray for those that are online tonight that uh, have need tonight. Lord, I thank you that you're big enough. Uh, to meet each and every situation, every need. Lord, I thank you that um, that your name is a strong tower that we can run to and are safe. And I pray for those that need healing. I pray, Father, for those that need some comfort, those that need strength. I pray, Father, for those that need provision tonight. Uh, Lord, just let it be seen, Lord, as we put our confidence in you. I pray, Father, for those that might be struggling. Maybe this has been a, a difficult week. I pray, Father, that you would uphold us with your powerful right hand. And that, God, you would minister to us. Lord, I pray that you would uh, give us, just as we study your word tonight, just open our hearts and let us hear. Let us have a time of just solace with you and, and, and just in your presence. Lord, may we be refreshed and revived. And all the ministries taking place tonight, Lord, I pray that you would be lifted high in each and every one of them. Lord, that's the main thing. Lord, I pray that you would be lifted up. You'll draw us near to you. I pray, Father, for um, our state, uh, Lord, our nation. I pray first for rain. Lord, we just unite in prayer. Lord, we are dry and we're parched and we need rain. And so, Lord, we ask you to, to send the rain. Lord, I pray that, uh, that you would uh, protect those that are having to work out in the elements, those that are uh, fighting the fires that are all around us. Lord, I pray that you would protect them and watch over them. Uh, Father, we pray for revival in our land. Uh, Lord, let it, let it start here with us. Lord, we just pray for a supernatural, sovereign move of the Spirit of God. Uh, Lord, that would just change our culture, change our nation. 
Uh, Lord, we ask you from border to border and from coast to coast. Now, we, we ask your blessings upon our time here tonight. We thank you for all that you do. We ask it in Jesus' name, and we all said, amen. amen. You may be seated tonight. Thank you, and God bless you very much. Um, let's go ahead and turn to Ruth chapter 4 as we, again, wrap up this series. And a couple of things while you're turning to Ruth. Um, next Wednesday night, we will not have midweek service because Vacation Bible School starts Sunday night. So if you have children, grandchildren, uh, get them registered. We have VBS that will go Sunday through Wednesday night. Uh, so again, for those online, we will not have midweek service next Wednesday night. Uh, beyond that, um, the VBS again will end Wednesday night. And then on Sunday night, August the 7th, we have rented out the splash station uh, for a private uh, pool party, VBS um, closing celebration, whatever you want to call it. Um, so we will be doing that on the 7th that night. Then on August the 10th, which is a Wednesday, it's two weeks from today, we are, uh, again, mo- most of you know, we, we love to do outreach. Outreach is just part of who we are. I love always looking for opportunity. In fact, I have uh, about 1,500 gallons of bleach <laughs> that, uh, you know, uh, we gave away 26 pallets last year. I've got 10 pallets this year. Uh, but I'll be having that next week that we'll set up on the parking lot for anyone that needs bleach. Uh, some of the national partners I work with through disaster relief uh, work that I do, uh, I'm able to get these this stuff. And so I'll have its hospital-grade bleach, so it's very powerful bleach. You, it's a 10 to 1 dilution rate, so it'll last a while. Um, but anyway, on I, I said all that. On August the 10th, we are partnering with Cook School, Cook Elementary School, uh, and we're going to have a work day. We're going to go over there from 10 to 2, and we're going to be at their disposal to help them prepare for back to school. Uh, I don't know what that entails at this point. Uh, might be cleaning, might be tightening screws, might be, sweetheart, what? Sorting school supplies. Okay, so runs the gamut. Um, so anyway, that's on August the 10th. August the 11th. I thought, who planned this? August 11th is our food distribution day, uh, and that's out at Yellow Jacket Stadium. And then the last thing I want to say is, uh, I didn't announce it on Sunday, but at the Hub, uh, on September the 17th, uh, which is a Saturday, we're, uh, our ladies, BT ladies, are going to be hosting a women's self-defense class. Um, Brandon Jones, uh, one of our members here, is a, he's a second-degree black belt in, in uh, MMA uh, and he has uh, volunteered to teach something that's been on my heart for a long time. In today's climate, uh, it would be very helpful to know how to defend yourself. If, uh, you know, like if you're, of course, you know I do Krav Maga, and, and that's part of it is if you're at an ATM or if you're at a convenience store, somebody come up behind you and assault you, you know, don't become a victim. Do what you can to get out of it. So that's really what it is. I'm certainly not espousing violence, okay, so don't email me. Um, you know, <laughs> I'm just simply saying, you know what, it's okay to be prepared. Um, if I were to ask how many people were toting tonight, you would be surprised. And so I'm not going to ask that. I believe that we have, we can defend ourselves. So anyway, that's the 17th. There's a sign-up sheet out there. I know that you would really enjoy that. Um, it's, it's a great workout if you like to work out, but also it's great knowledge to be able to know how to handle somebody come up and grab you in a side choke or grab your ponytail or something like that. How do you, how do you get out of that? Uh, and how do you respond to that? So anyway, that's coming up. 
Um, let's get right into our teaching tonight. We're going to go ahead and finish up Ruth, a story of redeeming love. And, and I couldn't come up with a better title, so I just said the end. <laughs> How, how's that for it? I, I, you know, I like to be creative sometimes in titles, but I really couldn't come up with a, with a better title than the end. So uh, Ruth chapter 4, beginning verse number 13, says, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And when he went into her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative, and may his name be famous in Israel. And may he be your restorer of life and a nourisher of your, of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is better, notice what she says here, uh, who, what they say, who is better to you than seven sons has borne him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her bosom and became a nurse to him. Also the neighbor women gave him a name saying, this is, son, this is a son born to Naomi. They called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now this is the genealogy of Perez. Perez begot Hezron. Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Aminadab. Aminadab begot Nashon. And Nashon begot Salmon. And Salmon begot Boaz. Boaz, you breathing yet? Boaz begot Obed. Obed begot Jesse. And Jesse begot David. And we'll, the end. <laughs> so so let's, let's stop there. Can't go anymore, right? Uh, so, so again, tonight we're going to wrap up our series on Ruth. And, and it's been an incredible journey because, uh, again, I, and the very first teaching, the very first lesson, I said, this was the story that Benjamin Franklin used. Remember, remember he w- when he was talking to a bunch of aristocrats from France, uh, the snobbish, they, they made fun of the Bible, they joked about the Bible. And so Ben Franklin uh, who was an avid Bible reader, uh, actually told the story of Ruth. And, and, and what he did was he changed the names in the story of, from Jewish names to French names. And when, they got done, when he got done with the story, they were just intrigued and awestruck about what a marvelous story it was. And he re- told them that was a story straight from the, from the Bible that they had vilified so much. Uh, so it's, a, it's really a beautiful story. If you look at it, I mean, think about it. We've witnessed in this journey, uh, we've witnessed desperation. Uh, remember in the very beginning, Elimelech, there was a famine in the land. The Bible specifically says there was a famine. Elimelech gets his family together. They go to Moab. Now, the interesting part of that is that was a violation of God's word because he said, you nor your descendants are to have anything to do with them. But Elimelech thought, you know what, I've got to take care of my family. So he loads up his family, his two sons, his wife, he goes to Moab. They spent 10 year, years there. So we saw desperation. We saw heartache. What was the heartache? Elimelech died, and then the two boys died and left Naomi there. We saw the isolation. We saw the loneliness, the despair, the shock, and we saw joy. So this is a, in, in, in just about 85 verses in four chapters, we run the gamut of human emotion. Uh, that's the story of Ruth. Now, if, if we were writing a fairy tale, this is how we would end it, right? How many of you know? And they lived happily ever after. If we were writing the story, that's what we would do. But that we're not writing the story, so that's not how it ends. Uh, we all, uh, here's the thing. I think we, the reason it doesn't end that way is because we all know that life is not a fairy tale, right? Life isn't a fairy tale. Not every princess is rescued by her knight in shining armor. You know, sometimes they turn out to be a frog. Sometimes the good guys... They don't come in first. 
I mean, that's just the reality of life. Again, I've often said this for years and years that if I, I wish I could stand up here and tell you that if you choose Christ, your life will never have another bump. You'll never have another bump in the road. You'll, you'll never stump your toe again. You'll never have a bad day. I can't tell you that because that's not the reality of how we live. That's not life. You know, that's, that's fairy tale, and we don't live in a fairy tale. Listen, there, there are times when things don't work out, but, they, but there are times when things do work out. Sometimes the man and the woman end up together. Uh, despite all of the twists and all of the turns uh, that they have, they end up together. This is what happens in the book of Ruth. If you were an odds maker and you were looking at the story of Ruth in the very beginning, the odds were that this would never come out the way it did. The odds weren't in their favor because, remember, uh, they went to Moab. Moab was a place uh, that was established out of an incestuous relationship. It was cursed, and, and they're there in this land. The word Moab means who's your daddy in plain English. That's what it means, who's your daddy. Um, they're there living outside the will of God, and yet you see what happens at the end of the story. It's, it's an incredible, again, remember, the hero of the story is not Ruth, and it's not Boaz. The hero of the story of Ruth is the unseen hand of God who works behind the scenes to get all things together for their good and his glory. And that's the way he does with us. You know, sometimes our lives take, de- sometimes we take detours, and sometimes our lives spin out of control off course. At least we think it's off course. You know, I, I, I've, I've been very free down through the years sharing my own personal testimony. Uh, you know, when I ran away from home as a, a junior in high school, uh, you know, I, I actually was called to ministry when I was seven, didn't want anything to do with it, and I became a teenager, so I decided to plot my own course, ran away from home. So, so instead of running this path, I go out this way. Well, guess what? Isaiah 59 says the arm of the Lord is not short that he can't reach you. <laughs> so even in my detour, he's still reaching, and he's nudging me back to what he called me to do in the very beginning. And, and it's the unseen hand of God. It's working through situations and circumstances that at the present moment may not be favorable and they may not be pleasant, but God's using them to bring us back to the ultimate goal and his plan. See, God has a plan. The Bible says he knows the beginning from the end, and this story reveals that. Um, again, this is what happens and what starts out in this book with Ruth. It starts out with sadness. It ends with joy. In the beginning, uh, we, we, this man, this woman, they don't know each other. Uh, in fact, again, if you're an odds maker, odds were against it. There was really no way they could meet in the very beginning, much less become husband and wife, and yet that's exactly what happened. The last paragraph of the book brings everything together, and, and, and I'll talk about that here in a few moments, but it makes this one of the greatest short stories that you'll ever read. You have to read it all the way because there's, you know, there is a final twist in the last few verses that probably would have flabbergasted Ruth and Boaz. <laughs> when God gets involved, listen, happily ever after uh, takes on a whole new meaning. The happy, the happy ever after part stretches from Ruth and Boaz to a young couple, born, a young couple in Bethlehem, a barnyard, a thousand years later. That's the ever after. So that again, God, we live for the short term. God plays for the long end. The long, He plays the long term. You know that. How many's ever heard the old adage that says the our, uh, the journey of faith is not a sprint; it's a marathon. It's the long haul. 
You know, there are way too many people that come out of the starting blocks, and, man, they're, they're, they're sprinting as hard and as fast as they can. But if they don't learn to pace themselves, they will fade out. You know, it's, a, it's a marathon. It's an endurance thing. And this is the story of Ruth and Boaz. Little did they know that when God put them together, that their, their genealogy would stretch from where they were a thousand years into the future to a little cave in Bethlehem where a Savior was born, who is Christ the Lord. That's the handiwork of God. So, so the last few verses of Ruth 4 shed some light on this happy ending that God always intended. And so I'm following a, 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 an outline by a guy by the name of Lee, Liam, or Lane, I'm sorry, Lane Campbell. I like the outline. So let's talk about the bride. Let's talk about the bride. Verse number 13. Now notice how matter-of-fact this is. Boaz took Ruth. I like this version. It says, Boaz took Ruth. She became his wife. He slept with her, and the Lord granted conception to her, and she gave birth to a son. Now, how's that for a matter-of-fact statement? I mean, again, if you're reading this story, chapters 1, 2, and 3, what a build-up to this. I mean, you had intrigue, and you had twists and turns, and then all of a sudden when you get to the end, and you remember last week we talked about the kinsman redeemer and how Boaz had to go to the city gate and meet with a nearer relative than what he was and to say, hey, can you redeem them? And, and, and remember, he played it well. You know, hey, she, there's some property, you can redeem it, it can be part of yours. And he said, oh, yeah, I'll redeem it. And then he said, oh, but there's a catch, you've got to marry Ruth too. <laughs> well, now, I can't do that. And here it is. You would think, man, here comes the bride. You would think you, the pomp and the circumstance. <laughs> he got married. They had a baby. That's it. That's the totality of the excitement that has been building for three chapters. Again, I, uh, again, you look at this, one sentence is all. One sentence to summarize the wedding, the consummation, and the birth of the son. That's, that's it. It must have been an exciting wedding, right? <laughs> Three things happen one after another. Boaz marries Ruth, Ruth gets pregnant, and Ruth gives birth to a son. That's it. So why aren't we told more about the celebration why aren't we told more about the pomp and circumstance of these joyful events, which they are joyful events. I, if you got married, I, you know, you enjoyed the wedding. Had a wedding on Friday night, beautiful wedding up uh, north of Denton, just a beautiful ceremony, beautiful place. Uh, I, I married her parents, and then I dedicated her when she was a baby, and then I got to officiate her wedding. I thought, man, I'm getting old. I've been here a long time. <laughs> Uh, it was just a wonderful, I love, I, weddings are wonderful. What, weddings are wonderful. You know, of course, one guy said weddings are simply a funeral where you smell your own flowers, but I don't know, I just, I enjoy, <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, my wife's not here, so I can, <laughs> so, so why aren't we told more about the pomp and circumstance of the wedding and the, the birth of the baby? Here, here's, here's what I think. Perhaps because these events point to something greater, that these are just part of the timeline of God to get where God ultimately is going. See, in Genesis 3.15, there was the first messianic promise where, where God spoke and he said that he was going to curse the, the, the woman and her seed and the serpent, and the, and the serpent would bruise the heel of woman's seed, but yet he would crush his head. That was the first, that was looking forward a, a couple thousand years to the time when Jesus would hang on that cross and say, it is finished. 
So the event was greater. It was so. So maybe why there's not a lot of pomp and circumstance about uh, the wedding and the and the birth of the baby is because it pointed to a greater event. Again, this book is more than just a, a stories about an ancient love story. After Ruth and Boaz end up as husband and wife, she gets pregnant. She gives birth. Uh, these these events, as momentous as they are, that's not the main point of the story. As beautiful as it is, that's not the main point. Verse 13 reminds us how God works through the ordinary in order to accomplish his purposes. I had this discussion today with, uh, with someone that sometimes we got to understand in our lifetime what goes on in our life often has nothing to do with us, but it has everything to do with God's message to those around us. And so my prayer in the last 10 years with dealing with my wife's disability is, Lord, help me to walk in honor with, and with integrity to carry this so that people that look at us can see Christ in us. Uh, you know, yeah, it would be easy to sit down and lament the, the bad situation and how difficult and all the other stuff that goes into it, but I don't want to be like that. And, and again, God uses these circumstances, and he works through normal, ordinary events to accomplish his goal. And, and, and again, it's not, when you read this story, it's not as if Bo, Boaz and Ruth um, said to Ruth, you know what, let's get married, make a baby, so you can become the great-grandmother of King David. <laughs> they had no idea. They had no idea. They just got married and had a baby. They, they had no idea. Neither of them knew anything about David. And, and, and furthermore, not only that, Neither one of them could imagine a baby being born to a virgin a thousand years later who would become savior of the world. But that's what happened. See, Boaz and Ruth weren't aiming to be part of Jesus' family tree that we read about in Matthew 1. But that's what happened. The book of Ruth doesn't mention, again, it doesn't mention bridal showers or bachelor parties or any other details of the wedding. You know, I'm sure it was a happy celebration, I, I would imagine. Um... But that fact isn't mentioned because that's not the point. That's not the point. See, God brought this unlikely couple together as part of his larger plan. The one who knows the beginning from the end orchestrates everything to get us where, listen, that's why I said during the COVID pandemic, the, the, everything was shutting down around, around the country and around the world. I said, remember me talking about this. It did not stop the plan of God. Didn't even slow it down. Didn't even slow it down. God works through everything that happens in life to get to further His plan and His goals. Um, you know, God again. Brought, God brought them together when they when when they consummated the marriage. They had no idea of the larger meaning of that. They were simply doing what married couples have done since the beginning of time. That's how life works, right? We take the next step that's in front of us. We face unexpected obstacles. We walk by faith, and then we leave the rest of it in the hands of God. That's the only way we can do it. Listen, I don't know what tomorrow is going. You know, if, if, listen, if you, if you tune in too much to the, to the prognosticators on TV, I, I, I recommend just watch the weather. Well, I don't even do that anymore. Just go outside. If the grass is wet, it's rained. <laughs> Otherwise, it's going to be hot. Until September or October or November, it's going to be hot. I'm praying September. It, I, I mean, you know, the, the, it's so depressing. We live in a broken world. Brokenness all around us. You know, we just have to leave things in the hand of God. 
Go out and do what he's called us to do and then leave it all up to him. Listen, it, it does us no good to try to, how many understand this? It does no good to try and figure God out, right? We can't. We can't. Have you tried? I have. And you know what? It just stumps me every time because I can't see how God could take, you know, X and Y and make Z. I, I don't see it. But he does. That's how life works. You know, wasted time. Listen, if we sit there all day long trying to figure God out, you know what we do? We waste time. Not only do we waste time, we miss opportunities. Because all around us are opportunities to be the answer to someone's prayer. I believe every single day there are divine appointments that we are, that we are assigned that day. It might be a kind word to a cashier that's overwhelmed. You know, in today's world of impatience, it might be a kind word to a, to a waitress that gets your order wrong instead of saying, you're not very bright, are you? To say, you know what, I, I know it's stressful. I'm, I'm sorry. I pray that you have a, better, a good day and leave an extra tip for her or him. It, who knows? Who knows? That could have been your assignment. You never know. I mean, how many times have we had people say, uh, you, you don't know, uh, sending cards. I, you know, I, I've, when Sheila got sick, I've kind of gotten away from that. Like I, but I used to send cards. I'd sit down on Monday and I would, I, during prayer, and I would, you know, I'd just say, Lord, you know, who needs, a, who needs something this week? I know we all do, but God knows. There, there's, and I would write cards. And I can't tell you in the last 29 years of pastoring here how many people said, you have no idea. That card came at the right moment, and it said exactly what I needed. A kind word. Again, every day we have that assignment. A pastor, I read this story about a pastor that wrote Dallas Willard uh, uh, a, a note, a letter. Actually, it was a lengthy letter about some of the problems that he was facing in his church. And this letter was quite verbose. I mean, it was long. And he was just kind of going through all the stuff, hoping that this well-known Christian author uh, could give him some insight in how to deal with all of these problems that he had going on in his church. We didn't hear back from him. And, and, and it didn't hear back from him for a while, and so he started beating himself up. You know, you know how you do sometimes when you ask the question and nobody answers, and you think, oh, dummy, you shouldn't have, you shouldn't have done that. So he just, you know, he kind of beat himself up for sending this letter to, to, to Dallas Willard. Um, and so one, he, he forgot about it. But one day, he gets a letter from Dallas Willard. It was a handwritten note, not a lengthy note, just a little note from him. It was one paragraph long, and it went something like this. Thank you for your letter. Don't worry so much about what other people think. Just get up each day. Go do what you believe God wants you to do. <laughs> that was it. Isn't that, isn't that good? Sometimes the, sometimes the best advice is the simplest advice. Ruth and Boaz needed to get married and have a baby. That was God's will for them. They didn't, they didn't know the bigger picture, and they didn't try to figure it out. So that's the bride. Let's talk about the baby. Kind of looks like a baby. <laughs> Sorry. That's how my brain works. I just <laughs> So verse 14. The women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you without a family redeemer today. May his name become well known in Israel, and he will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. Indeed, your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Naomi took the child, placed him on her lap, and became a mother to him. The neighbor's women said, a son has been born to Naomi, and they named him Obed. He was the father 
of Jesse, the father of David. Now, now here's the interesting thing. When we, when we read the book, when we open up a book that says Ruth, but when we begin the book, it, it, it's, the book begins and ends with Naomi. It starts with her, and it ends with her. And, and, and again, we, we get a clue of the bigger picture. The woman, remember when she came back to Bethlehem in chapter 3, and everybody gathered to have this ticker tape parade that, that, that uh, Naomi had come back. Remember she said, don't call me, don't call me Naomi. Naomi meaning pleasant one. Don't call me pleasant. I'm not. Remember what she said? Call me Mara, bitter. Because I went away full and I came back empty. I went away with, with my husband and my sons and I came back with nothing. And he did, remember, he did this to me. That's, that's it. See, the women, this, this same woman who came back bitter now rejoices in God's provision. See, that's why I said uh, in chapters 2 and 3, she, nowhere do we have indication that she gave up the faith. What we did see was that she was wounded in her faith. She was bruised. It happens sometimes. How many's ever been mad at God for something? That, that's, that's what's going on here. She, she's wounded. She's bruised. She doesn't understand, but she never gave up. She never gave up faith. She, again, she was angry. Listen, there have been times in my journey with, with my wife that I've been angry with God. I, I think it's just part of the human condition. You just you don't understand why. You know, there are some days, there are bad days with, with Sheila, and you don't understand why. You think, why, why her, you know, right? Why her? And then you start feeling, why do I have to do, you know, I was 46 years old when she had her stroke and became disabled. Why, why me? It happens. But you don't give up faith. And as you keep walking, keep doing what you know to do, he'll bring you through it. It happens every single time. Again, the women of Bethlehem, uh, again, in their, they make two important proclamations. First of all, they call Obed the family redeemer. That's the same word Boaz used to describe himself. It means that this little boy that's born to Ruth and Boaz will carry on the name. Now, remember, this, this, when he redeemed her, he said that he was doing it for her dead husband. So, so this boy, Obed, is now going to carry on the name of Elimelech and Malon, her dead husband. When the boy grows up, he will be the protector of Naomi in her old age. That's what they say. Uh, more than that, he will renew her by giving her hope in her declining years. How many know that grandchildren are a godsend? Let me tell you what happened to me when, when all of that happened with my wife. I, did, I went into a time of depression. You know, again, a young man now becoming a caregiver, and my life was just, I don't know how, how just it it was the routine the the it it just it was overwhelming. If you ever been a caregiver, you understand what I'm talking about. It just was overwhelming. Every day, you know, same, 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 and it just became just the monotony of the routine. I do my thing. I would do you know, and and I just got to the point where I was just numb, just kind of numb. You know what happened? Audrey Claire came along. My first granddaughter. I told my daughter, I said, she saved my life. Now, don't, don't, don't read between the lines there. 
Because, you know, I'm not talking about I was, you know, going to end my life. I don't mean that. She saved my life. She brought joy to, to my heart. She put, a, she put a, a vitality back in me that had, been, that had just leaked out with having to deal with my wife's disability. Naomi had been given a new lease on life because this boy was born. She had lost her two sons. She had lost her husband. But now in her, in her waning years, here comes Obed, and he's going to be her protector, and he's going to renew her. Give her a reason to live. Give her a reason to get out of bed in the morning and go to bed at night. She, she's going to die, but the family's going to go on. Listen, we come and we go, but God's purposes span the generations. They span the generations. Second thing, they call Ruth uh, better than seven sons. Better than seven sons. What does that mean? Well, after leaving the family in Moab, Ruth, remember, she said, made the famous statement, I'll go where you go, I'll live where you live. You know, so, so Ruth receives a new family in a new homeland. And because of her pledge of loyalty to Naomi, Naomi's God, she received blessings of the covenant God made, uh, that God made with Israel. Her loyal love, that's what the Bible says, for Naomi pictures God's loyal love for his children. She's a type of, uh, her love for Naomi is the type of love that God has for us. It's a loyal love. God can't love you any more than he does right now, and he'll never love you any less than he does right now. I met with a lady yesterday, and she's guilt-ridden, has been carrying this for years. Used to attend church here, moved away, happened to be in town. She, she called and said, hey, can I come talk to you? I need somebody to talk to. And I said, sure, come on in. Just carrying that guilt, carrying that stuff with her. And I said, listen, he doesn't remember. It's time for you to forget it. It's time for you to forget it. Well, what, she's, and the question was started by, does God, can you ever do so much wrong that God can't forgive you and won't love you? And I just said, absolutely not. Absolutely not. He cannot love you more and he will not love you less. He loves you loyally. Loyally. And that's what... Ruth's love to Naomi was. Again, that's better and far more remarkable than seven sons. The women named this little boy Obed, which is short for Obadiah. Name him Obed. Obadiah means servant of the Lord. Isn't that interesting? Servant of the Lord. He will serve. Again, they don't know this. He will serve the Lord. He will serve God by serving Naomi in her old age, and as the years pass, he will marry, and his wife will give birth to a son named Jesse. And Jesse will get married and have a son named David. See, Obed not only serves his own generation, but his grandson will grow up to become Israel's greatest king. That's how God works. That's why I say the hero of the story it's not Ruth, it's not Naomi, it's not Boaz. It's the unseen hand of God who is working all of these things, not just for the moment, but for the future. Generations. Let's look at the third thing. Let's look at the blessing. Now, and I'll, I'll acknowledge this, there's a lot of people. How many of you, if you've ever read this book, maybe for the first time, you know, again, you're reading this story and how it builds up, and it's just, it's just this crescendo of, of excitement and turns and twists and 
and, and, and you know, we, we ended up chapter 3 with a proposal hanging in the air because he didn't know if the other man was going to redeem her. <laughs> Had to wait, right? So, so you read this story, and you, you got all these twists and turns and the crescendo of, of this excitement and this drama, and then it ends with genealogy. How many of you have ever read through the book of Numbers? Oh, my goodness. He begot so-and-so, had sons and daughters, and died. And he begot so-and-so and had sons and daughters and died. It's like after a while, he's like, oh, my goodness. I mean, I, I almost would rather shop at Walmart than to read genealogy. If you work at Walmart, I'm sorry. We just, we just joke about it. Pretty soon I'm going to be working there getting a 1099 for scanning my groceries. <laughs> look, at, look at how this thing ends. Verse 18. So now this is the, here's how it ends. Again, you're thinking, and they lived happily ever after. No, here's how it ends. Now this is the genealogy of Perez. Perez begot Hezron. Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Aminadab, Aminadab begot Nashon, and Nashon begot Salmon, and Salmon begot Boaz, and Boaz begot Obed, and Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David. The end. Woo! What a great story. I mean, what in the world? I mean, that's not how fairy tales are supposed to end, right? It's boring. And again, it doesn't seem to fit with the narrative of all the twists and the turns of the rest of the story. I mean, this is where you and I, if we were writing this story, would say, Ruth and Boaz lived happily ever after, period. We like our fairy tales to have happy endings. And so, again, this story ends up ends with genealogy. So what's up with that? I'm going to bring all this in together now. Remember, the hero of the story is God. <laughs> Got to remember that. Because nothing makes sense if you, if, you, if you don't remember that God is the hero of of this story. His unseen hand has been guiding the circumstances and the events of this story since the very beginning because God had a bigger picture in mind. God had a bigger picture in mind. We don't know for a fact, again, I'm just going to say this. It's an assumption, but I'm going to say it anyway. We don't know for a fact that Ruth and Boaz lived happily ever after. I mean, I would imagine they did. I mean, particularly how they were smitten how about that for an old word? How they were smitten with each other. <laughs> you know, I would think that they lived happily ever after. Um, they enjoyed watching Obed grow up and Naomi's eyes as she beamed with joy as her grandson played and grew up and took care of her. We assume that's what happened, but again, there, and there's no reason to think otherwise, but the Bible doesn't mention it. Doesn't mention it. But think about this. How many miracles... How many miracles did we read about in this book? None. None. How many times did we see where God audibly spoke to someone? None. Zero. The thing about this book, there, there's no burning bushes. There's no voices speaking from heaven. The waters don't part. The walls don't come tumbling down. For that matter, the axe head doesn't float. <laughs> if you know that story. The dead are not raised. I mean, life in Bethlehem continues as it has done from the very beginning. That's just, that's just the way it is. There are no miracles in the book of Ruth, and that's the wonder of the story right there, is that God accomplishes purposes, and this is the point. He accomplishes purposes through the normal outworking of life. 
like I said, when, when, when that initial, when Sheila had her stroke and, and, and I'm having to deal with this and the fear of not knowing what's going to happen and all those emotions and everything going on and all the, the stuff that's piled on me, I went into a time, but you know what? As I continued to live life, I continued to serve. I came in here. I didn't miss, to my knowledge, I didn't miss one Sunday during that whole time of her hospitalizations, many, and her rehab, many. I preached every Sunday. I said, I stood right there, probably cried through most of it, preached and cried through most of my sermons. But I'm living day by day the life that I'm supposed to live. And you know what? I got through it. What's that song say? Through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. That's what we do. (laughs) So life in Bethlehem just got right back to normal for them. See, God accomplishes purposes through the normal outworking of life. The story starts off with a somber note. There's a famine in the land. There's an ill-advised trip to Moab, the three graves in Moab. We have two widows that show up in Bethlehem. And again, at that point of the story, it seems very, very bleak. And then one day, I love, I love this. I pointed this out many times. Seemingly out of nowhere, Ruth gets up and says, Hey, Naomi, I'm going to go to the field today, and I'm going to glean. The law allowed for the gleaning and the field. I'm going to go to the field today, and I'm going to get us some food. What else are widows going to do? So she goes, and I love the way the Bible says she just happened to glean on Boaz's field. Yeah. Just happened. There's no such thing as happenstance. She was right where God needed her to be. She's working. She's a, again, she's a Proverbs 31 woman. She's diligent. She's industrious. She works hard. She's noticed by Boaz. And again, another interesting thing about this story is nowhere in the Bible do we have a physical description of her. It doesn't tell us if she's Uh, You know, given that culture, she's probably dark hair, dark complected, dark eyes probably. But we're not told that. We're not told if she's a good-looking woman. We're not told if, uh, you know, we're not told any of that. But there was a beauty about her that caught his attention, and he said, who is that? Like the first time I saw my wife, I'm like, who is that? God set it up. God set it up. A friendship blossoms. We had this really bizarre proposal. If you weren't here for that, you need to go back and watch it. They got married because of stinky feet. <laughs> you, have to, you have to go back and read, what is it, uh, Ruth 3. Naomi hatches this plan and says, you got to go at the, at, at, in the middle of the night and uncover his feet and then lay down by his feet. Listen, that's not good advice for these feet. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's just a, it, it's, there's a lot of wonderful stuff in this story. Again, it's a midnight encounter that leads to a, a proposal. A, a clever deal gives Boaz the right to marry Ruth, and now Obed's born. So where's the miracle in all of this? Well, the answer is the miracle, the miracle is nowhere, and it's everywhere. What I mean by that is that God is working the miraculous behind the scenes. The walls aren't coming down, the physical walls, but there are things that are taking place. Remember, she's a Moabite being accepted by the Jews the very 
people that God said don't have anything to do with. So, so there are miracles that are taking place that, you, you again, we wouldn't recognize. He's, work, he's working behind the scenes. He's orchestrating every detail so that each person in the story does exactly what they are supposed to do. Now, don't, don't read into that thinking that we're somehow puppets on God's string. and then he's pull. We're not. But God just so happened to work the circumstances to where we are exactly where we need to be when the time is right. You think about Joseph when he's thrown into the pit, remember, by his brothers? Well, the Midianites had to leave their home four or five, three or four or five days earlier in order for that intersection to take place, for them to be right there when Joseph was thrown into the pit to be sold as a slave in Egypt. Had to be, had four or five days earlier, God said, you need to move and you need to go to Egypt. And as they passed by that way at the precise moment, they're right there at the intersection where they need to be. That's how God works things. You ever run across somebody that spoke a word to you and you thought, man, that was, that was what I needed to hear. See, God had arranged that. God had arranged that. Again, this brings us, and i got to close. i got to hurry up. This brings us to the genealogy at the end of the book. Again, what seems to be just something random and aimless tacked on to the end of this story is... Uh, is, is something that God wants us to understand how he's working behind the scenes. God worked in an unlikely way through, an unexpected, through unexpected events to bring a Moabite woman named Ruth into King David's family tree. That's what God's doing. Did, did you know that this same genealogy appears in Matthew chapter 1? It does. Here's the way Matthew began in Matthew 1.1. says, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then he goes in. Jesus, what he's doing is Jesus, he's, this makes Jesus a physical descendant of two of the greatest names in Jewish history. Okay? But there were many other generations between Abraham and David, right? So how do we bridge that gap? Well, Matthew does in verses 3 through 6. And he repeats the genealogy of Ruth chapter 4 that we just read. So he's given us the generations. See, that's why Ruth ends up in the family tree. Again, I think it's a remarkable thing. When the story begins, Ruth is nowhere to be found. Ruth is not even part of the narrative, not even part of the story. Okay? She's in Moab, Moab little, uh, knowing little, not understanding much. Again, not even serving God. Not even aware of these great plans that God had for her life. But God knew all along. God knew all along. Nothing, nothing happens in this story just by chance. And nothing happens in our life by chance. Now, I wish I could explain why bad things happen to good people. I can't. All I can say is we live in a fallen world that's under a curse that's been promised to be redeemed and, re and made new at some point in the future. That's all I can tell you. As the story ends, Ruth has faded into the background. She and Boaz are raising a son, Obed, under Naomi's watchful eye. Again, that's all we know because that's all we can see. You see, there is a river that, of connected history that flows from Genesis to Revelation. It spans thousands of years and hundreds of generations, but it's the plan of God from the very beginning. See, in the beginning, God, he makes all things new, and in there is woven the thousands of years and the connected history that flows like a river. Stories are not just plugged in just to be good stories. They have a purpose and there's a meaning and they show some, some facet of who God really is. 
Again, through the, though the Bible contains 66 books written by uh, over, 50, uh, over 40 authors and over a span of 1,500 years, it has one message, and that message is God's plan to bring salvation to the world through Jesus Christ. Everything in the Bible revolves around that one thing, everything. Again, we learn an important lesson from all of this, and that is this. We rarely see all that God, uh, we, we rarely see all God intends by what happens to us. I can't measure the activity of God simply by what's going on in my life. And that's why you've heard me say, for, uh, uh, particularly with, with pre-COVID or post-COVID, is that don't judge, because I, I think the American church is in trouble. I, I really do. Western church. I think the Western church is in trouble. You know, the Bible warned of a time when sound doctrine would not be endured. And I think the Western church has bought into some doctrines of, of, of other things. But there was a point to that, and it just went right out of my head. Oh, the, the, the point being, but God always has that remnant. He always has that remnant. There's always someone who has not defiled their, their garments. And, and again, even though Ruth knew nothing about David or Jesus, and we may not know what's going to, what he's going to do through us in the next generation. When Audrey, you're talking about Audrey when she was born, we used to have, we used to have these big posters on the walls of missionaries from various parts of the world. Missions is a big part of who we are as well. And I remember when she was a little girl, I would, she'd come here on Sundays and uh, before service, and I would pick her up. And I'd come in here before service, and I'd pray, and we'd walk around to every one of those po- posters, and I'd put my hand on it, and she would put her hand on it. And just for a couple minutes, we'd be praying, whether it's Eurasia or, or, or the Middle East or Africa or wherever it may be, and we're just praying, God, uh, you know, send the latter rain and outpour, do an outpour. And we would pray, and we would do those things. Who knows what's going to happen? Who knows? You see, sometimes things make no sense right now, and they may not make sense when we die, but God will make sense of them later because God has no loose ends and he has no unfinished business. We think he does, but he, but he doesn't. Ruth's story teaches us that God knows what he's doing even when we don't have a clue. So the best thing for us to do is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not to your own understanding, but in all of your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. So where do we find Christ? I'm going to close. Where do we find Christ in Ruth? He's the kinsman redeemer. He's the kinsman redeemer pictured by Boaz who willingly redeemed both the land and the woman he loved. All of creation is groaning for that redemption, including us, the bride, pictured in Boaz. In the Old Testament, again, the kinsman redeemer had to meet three qualifications. First, he had to be qualified to be a redeemer. Secondly, he had to be able to be the redeemer. And thirdly, he must be willing to be the redeemer. What Boaz did in a very small, confined way, Jesus does in a big way. In fact, Jesus says, whosoever will, let him come. He's redeemed humanity. He qualified by virtue of his incarnation. He was, he was able by virtue of his deity And he provided his willingness by going to the cross and saying, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Matthew 1 tells us that Jesus had roots. See, that's where the genealogy comes in. As boring and as bogged down as we get in the begats and the begottens and the dying and and, and all that stuff, it, it, it talks about roots. 
And in Matthew 1, it tells us that Jesus had roots. He had a family tree. He didn't just drop out of heaven. He didn't just appear magically on the scene. But at the perfect time, I like what Paul said to the Galatians, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. The fullness of time. At the perfect moment, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Now, then you add Ruth 4 to Matthew 1, and we see the bigger picture. Okay? I said it earlier. Matthew repeats the genealogy of Ruth 4. It's true, but Matthew makes two additions that Ruth omits. And that's this. Salmon fathered Boaz by Rahab. Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth. He adds two names of two women that were involved. Rahab the harlot and Ruth the Moabitess. Why did he do that? The Jews, I mean, again, in this culture, the Jews didn't ordinarily track genealogy through women. It's not part of the custom. The writer Ruth didn't see fit to add them, so why does Matthew decide to add them in Matthew chapter 1? Again, and we should note that Tamar is mentioned in verse 3 as well, uh, and so is Bathsheba in verse 6 as Uriah's wife. All four unlikely people of the four, only Ruth modeled the exemplary character. Matthew, here's Matthew's point. Matthew wants to show us that our Lord Jesus came from very, from very human background. Very human background. In a sense, I, I mean, we would say it like this. In, the, in a sense, he was born on the other side of the tracks. He wasn't born with a silver spoon in his mouth. He wasn't born in a palatial palace. He didn't come from uh, this ancestry of royalty, royalty at least from, from human perspective. He didn't. He was born in the wrong part of town. Jesus was not ashamed to come from a very imperfect family tree, one that included a prostitute and one that came from a nation that was founded upon incest. It's not the savoriest picture in the world, right? But here's the thing. God's grace, I promise I'm closing. God's grace shines through the blackest of human sin. It shines through the, blackness of, the blackest of human sin. He, God chooses the flawed men and women and places them in Jesus' family tree. What does that say to us today? Isn't that a powerful thing that no matter what my background is, no matter how much I've dropped the ball and how I've sinned and missed the mark and I failed God, God can still use somebody like me. My own story is one of the stories like that. I'm an unlikely pastor. Yeah, I was called. I didn't want any part of it. I fought against it. I ran from it. I'm a Jonah. Jonah joined the Navy. I joined the Air Force. But that didn't get me far enough away from the Lord. Because in a barracks in San Antonio, Texas, in January of 1985, he finally called up with me and said, why do you keep running away? And I said, okay, if you still want me, here I am. If you still need me, if you can still use me, after all the dumb things I've done, here I am. That's what genealogy does. It lets me know that I'm not disqualified because I didn't come from the upper crust. It lets me know that God can still use me because I, I didn't go to some Ivory League college or I didn't, I didn't you understand what I'm saying? I, he, he takes just the, just the basic, plain, ordinary Joes, 
He says, you know what, if you'll just avail yourself to me, I can do much with you. The genealogy is in the Bible because it lets us know that Jesus has a background a lot like us. A lot like us. He called himself the friend of sinners. He felt at home, and don't read between the lines here, but he felt at home with the outcasts of society. The drunks, the prostitutes. In fact, didn't they, didn't they kind of lambast him a few times about you know, hanging out with those types of people? He was quite comfortable with it. Didn't think he was better than they were. He called them to account and he called them to change. Listen, I love this. I read one statement that said, Jesus wasn't born with a hazmat suit on. I like that. You know anything about a hazmat suit? It's protect you from, uh, from disease or, or whatever. He put on human flesh. Came from a, a, a tree that had lots of nuts in it. <laughs> God used him. Here's my final point. No matter what your past, he can use you. The end. Would you stand with me? <laughs> See, that's why I called it the end. <laughs> what a beautiful story. I, I would encourage you sometime to go read it. And again, there, there's so many different uh, and translations and paraphrases that are out there that, that you can pick up a whole lot of just little nuances about this story. But it's a beautiful story. Again, the hero of the story is how behind the scenes God is still orchestrating an incre- this, incredible, this incredible line of Christ. Again, so that generations after that, our generation can look back and say, you know, I mean, if, he can, if he can use a, a, harlot, a, a prostitute and, a, and, and somebody from, a, and, and from a, a, a dirty, filthy nation, he can use me. I'm not much, but God, here I am. Won't you bow with me as we close in prayer? Two things as we close tonight in prayer. Online, if you'll comment, I want to pray with you. But I, I want to ask this. Because when I started talking about the hardship. I, I, I truly feel like there's somebody here tonight, maybe online, that you're really struggling with some things right now. Um, and, the, and the question is why, you know, we, we, our sense of justice is we think, Lord, if we, if we go to church, if we involve ourselves, if we, if we tithe, if we give, if we serve, if we do all these things, then, then we're, we, we should be exempt from the hardships of life. And, and, and that's just not really the reality that we live. And I, and I just really feel like there's somebody that's struggling right now because there's something going on in your life, whether it be with your family, with you as an individual, and it's caused you to pause and say, why, why, why is this happening right now? And I just want to pray with you and remind you that behind the scenes, even though you can't see it, he's working on your behalf. That's our God. He never stops working for you and for me. And then the second thing is this. Maybe you're here tonight and say, Pastor, you don't, you don't understand. I've got a pretty sordid past. How could God use somebody like me? Why would he want to use somebody like me? My reputation is not the best. It's not stellar. I've done things. I've embarrassed my family. I've embarrassed my, 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 myself. 
Why would he do that? That's why I put Rahab and Ruth in the family tree. Because nobody is disqualified if they surrender to him. With nobody looking around, if that's you tonight, if you're online, if you'll comment right now. But if you're here, say, Pastor, pray for me. I'm really struggling in some areas. I want God to use me. Just right back, right back down. I'm going to pray for you. Yes, amen, amen, amen. Amen, thank you so much. Online, if you'll comment right now, I'm going to pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for this beautiful story. May we not forget that, Lord, behind all of the workings of our daily lives is your unseen hand. Lord, sometimes when we choose our own path, you redeem us from that. We may suffer the consequences of choices, but Lord, you're still working to edge us back into your perfect will, into alignment with who you are. I pray for the hands that went up tonight. Lord, I pray, I pray number one, Father, that you would just remind them that they are treasure to you. Lord, that you love them loyally. You can't love them more and you won't love them less. And that they are two treasures that you have inscribed their name on the palm of your hand and there's no devil in hell that can take them out. Lord, may that bring courage to them tonight to face every giant that steps out to try to beat them back into submission of their past. Lord, if we've confessed it, you've forgotten it, forgiven and forgotten it. So Lord, help us to work through those things and move forward into the destiny that you've created us for. I pray, Father, that if there are those struggling tonight with, again, just with that feeling of, of unfitness, inferiority, guilt-ridden perhaps. Lord, you said that when the sun sets free, is free indeed. So free us of that. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Lord, let us be free. Lord, let us know that you hold our past, you don't hold our past against us. And Father, may we understand that all the workings of our life, Lord, contribute to your grand scheme, your grand plan. And we may not see it and understand it right now, but Lord, you've got something that's working. And Lord, so may we get to the point where we trust you in all things. And Lord, in doing so, bring us the joy that is supernatural and unspeakable. And Father, I ask you to go with us. Give us a wonderful night. May we rest well in you. And should you, Terry, bring us on Sunday. Uh, bring people from the north, the south, the east, and the west that need an encounter with you. And even now, ordain what you're going to do. Let miracles abound in your house as we worship together. I love and bless each one now in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Thank you for being with us online. I look forward to seeing you next time. God bless you, and I love you very much. Here.